This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. This is The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Richard Serrett. You've found the right place. Congratulations. And it is, as always, so good to be here with you. Dr. Lana Marconi is standing by. She's a documentary filmmaker, and I'm going to be presenting the debut of her new film, The Resonance, here in Toronto in just a few weeks. More on that momentarily. Now, this is a film about the UFO phenomenon and the possible ET presence here on Earth. And this film, The Resonance, features interviews with a veritable who's who of ufology, including Dr. Stanton Friedman, Grant Cameron, Victor Vigiani, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, and many more. Uh, A quick thank you uh, to all of you listening who attended the Strange Planet Productions event as in the days of Noah at the University of Toronto earlier this week. Carl Gallops and L.A. Marzulli were, what can I say, their presentations were just incredible. In fact, there were a a few audible gasps and oh mys uh, overheard in the auditorium throughout the evening. So the event was a huge success. Uh, Stay tuned to the live events page at strangeplanet.ca for my next live presentation. My technical producer, Ian Robertson, is here on the other side of the sliding glass, utilizing his tremendous dexterity and technical acumen. Uh, In other words, he's twisting the knobs and dials, uh, but doing so brilliantly. And my producer, Albert Albert Vinzel, and I have posted our usual assortment of tantalizing tidbits and must-read news items on the slide carousel. Uh, Just go to strangeplanet.ca, click on the radio page for The Conspiracy Show, and they're up at the top, the slide carousel. Uh, There's a list of politicians and world leaders who warned us that the world is really run by secret societies. And some of the people on this list may surprise you. British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli, Russian revolutionary leader and premier of the Soviet Union, Vladimir Lenin and U.S. President Woodrow Wilson, just to name a few. So you might want to check out uh, that article and amaze your friends with this fascinating bit of trivia. Uh, And uh, this story from Natural News. High-tech specialized robots are about to replace droves of low-wage factory workers and send them packing. Samsung is partnering with South Korea's Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy to invest nearly $15 million in new robots that will take away the jobs that Chinese workers typically do. So, those are just two of the stories you'll find in the slide carousel at strangeplanet.ca. All right, time to tuck in to our main entree. 
Dr. Lana Marconi writes, produces, and hosts healthy living television shows. She also produces independent interviews and has authored several books on healthy living that have been featured in bookstores such as Chapters and Indigo. One of her stories was included in the Wake Up and Live the Life You Love series with Deepak Chopra and the late Wayne Dyer, uh, which was a Barnes & Noble best-selling book. She's also, published, she's also a published writer in Canada's Vitality magazine and Energy Works magazine. Lana has written, directed, produced, and edited a feature film documentary called The Wellness Story, and she, completely, uh, she currently completed her second uh, documentary uh, called The Resonance, which will be debuting, as I mentioned, here in Toronto in just a few weeks. Now, also in studio with Dr. Marconi is one of the individuals featured in the film, Sandra Kizrakos who I suppose I could best describe as an empath. Uh, but there's so much more uh, to her story, and I think at best I leave it to her to explain. Yes, there have been cases reported, more than one actually, where um, the uh, aliens and their UFOs have uh, pursued missiles, flown along beside them, and in uh, one or more cases taken the tips off. So that if there was, uh, were uh, atomic uh, warheads in the tips, that they would become inert and uh, just uh, land in the ocean. So uh, that, in my opinion, is, is a good sign. That's one, one sign that I say, well, they must really uh, want to prevent us from doing what we would probably wind up doing, and that is having a thermonuclear war would make the planet uninhabitable for everyone, including the people that started it. That's the Honorable Paul Hellyer, Canada's former defense minister, and a clip from the documentary film The Resonance. Dr. Lana Marconi and Sandra Kurzakos, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Fantastic, Richard. Thank you very much for having us on the show today. Sandra, thanks for coming in as well. Thank you. Now, you have uh, this extensive background in, uh, in healthy living and wellness, and how all of a sudden, you, and you've made a, a documentary about healthy living and so forth, and you've written for Vitality magazine, I believe. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you're making a, a documentary about UFOs. That seems a slight <laughs> departure. What's going on there? <laughs> I know. Where's the connection, right? Um, the Wellness Story was my first documentary, which was released this summer in June, and it talks about being healthy physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually because we are multidimensional beings. And as I explain health to people, it's not enough to be healthy physically, like eating the right foods and exercising, because if you're not thinking properly, you're going to create negative emotions that create metabolic waste acid, that creates um, acidosis in the body, which is a breeding ground for disease. So all those elements need to be in place for complete wellness, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. At the end of the wellness story, the last... 20 minutes was about spirituality and consciousness and one of the doctors who is a psychologist out of California I filmed her and she had a near-death experience whereby in that experience she was able to integrate with beings of a different dimension you can call them extraterrestrials and during that process because her ego wasn't in place she was able to receive downloads of information from them um, <laughs> mathematical equations that instruct mathematical equations that she used to create a medical device so these beings these extraterrestrials had integrated with her and gave her this knowledge so she came out with a medical device as a re result of that also in 
the ending of the film, I have a martial arts instructor, he's a fourth degree black belt guy, and he's also a student of traditional Chinese medicine. And if you know anything about Chinese medicine, one of their pillars is Taoism. And Taoism um, is about Qigong, for example. And the basis of Qigong, really, it's not just an exercise, but it goes way back to refining your qi so you can ascend and be a light being. There's something called the three treasures of man, which is your jing, qi, and shen. And it's all about a refinement process of your qi. And so at the end of the wellness story, you kind of get a little bit of a hint that there are these other beings that have been with us um, from the ancient times, like 5,000 years ago, according to um, traditional Chinese medicine, to today, modern, um, in our modern age, giving us information for medical technology. So my background, yes, health, but these beings, these superior beings, have infused us with downloads of knowledge um, related to health. So you – was this a revelation for you? When no. You, were you hearing – okay, so this, no. is, this was something that you had long been cognizant of. Yes. All right. So the film, The Resonance. We need to talk about the, uh, the latest uh, documentary, The Resonance, and we should uh, point out that this will be screening here in Toronto mm -hmm. on uh, November the 21st. Give us the, the particulars. Okay, well, it's an exciting event, and I'm really thrilled about it. We're going to have the Honorable Paul Hellyer there, who's the former Minister of National Defense for Canada. Um, a terrific gentleman. I had the privilege of actually going to his house and um, doing the interview with him. So he's going to be there. We're going to be doing a live Q&A with many of the speakers on the film. Sandra Kazakos, who's here with us today, she's going to be there as well. Um, the doors open at 1 o'clock. Some of the speakers are going to be at vending tables. You can come and talk to them. And from 2 to 4, we're going to sh uh, show the movie. It's two hours long. And then for the next two hours, we're going to have um, a live Q&A. And Richard is going to be hosting this live Q&A. So thank you very much oh, for My that, pleasure. Richard. We're just thrilled to have you at this event. And um, Victor Vigiani is going to be there. We're going to be Skyping in uh, Patty Greer, who is a documentary filmmaker um, who's filmed uh, – documentaries about crop circles. You can be Skyping in Michael Horn, the American media representative for the Billy Meyer contacts. So it's going to be a great event. And, and uh, you mentioned our good friend Victor Vigiani, who's a who's, um, um, frequent guest on this program. He's featured in the documentary. Dr. Stanton Friedman is in the documentary. Uh, give us some other uh, other names. <laughs> sure, sure. We have uh, one of Canada's top UFO researchers, Grant Cameron, ah, yes. is in it as well. Um, this is a, a professional dowser, Susan Collins, who's big in the industry. I, I actually went to the Alien Cosmic Expo in Brantford uh, back in June, and that's when I filmed um, a host of the, the experts that are actually in this documentary. All right. Uh, Sandra <clears throat> Krizakos. Yes. Now, you are uh, described as a vehicle for the sh for shift into one. Explain right. what that means. Shift into one. Shift stands for see how isness fuels transformation, and one stands for our now experience. And what this is is, um, it's an off world or not from this world uh, working application uh, into understanding the next step in humanity's evolution. Um, it's which is understanding the emotional and mental physics of the human experiment, which is what we are. We are uh, an experiment in conscious conscious creation, and we are at a time where there is a growing collective that is moving into the next step of our evolution, and this is understanding these dynamics and how the human, uh, the emotional and mental physics work, much like gravity is uh, the physics for the third dimensional reality. Hu the emotional and mental physics are 
the um, are the emotional and mental planes of the human experience are the what I call the fourth dimensional physics of the human experiment. So this is moving into that whole interdimensional um, aspect that uh, Lana was talking about. And in the work that I do, I actually work with people to move through that and move through clearing their emotions and their thoughts. It's like a fourth dimensional clearinghouse as they move into their multidimensional nature, which is fifth dimensional, which is unity consciousness and quantum um, in nature. Now, when, when you are described as a vehicle, does that mean that you are receiving downloads, uh, as, as uh, uh, Lana mentioned, one of her, her previous guests on a documentary? Yes. Um, that's a great question, Richard. No, actually, I, I'm not a channel, and I, I'm not a vehicle. I'm actually the, uh, I have access to that level of awareness and consciousness in my being. I'm, I'm the knowing of it, the embodiment of it, so I can access um, various levels of consciousness at any given time. I'm aware of my matrix, and I can tap into any part of that matrix that I need to in any given moment of time. So it's kind of like that movie, The Matrix, um, and I'm aware of the hologram that I am, so I can I can be whatever I need to be at any moment in time, so I can flip to different levels of awareness as as is required. All right, now you, I want to talk about this uh, experiment in, mm-hmm. in consciousness creation uh, that you, you described a little bit uh, later. We're going to take a time out here. When we come back, we will uh, continue our conversation with Dr. Lana Marconi, uh, the uh, film documentary filmmaker. The film is called The Resonance, which will be screening here in November on November the 21st, and we'll give you more information how you can watch the uh, the documentary. And also, uh, we have Sandra Kurzakos in, in studio as well, who is featured in the documentary. More of our conversation when The Conspiracy Show continues. Stay with us. They appear to the message there is nuclear weapons, but the message is now turned to the environment. Almost everybody who is an experiencer who has been on the ship, when you get to that, is shown the screen, what's called the screen. And on the screen, they show the destruction of the Earth. They show uh, big, huge tidal waves. They show environmental devastation. They show the world blowing up. And I believe that what they're trying to do is they're trying to tell us you have the world uh, uh, at the edge of a cliff. And you have to stop it. You have to cut, 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 quit cutting the leaves off the tree, the branches off the tree, because eventually there's going to be no branches left on the tree, and the tree is going to die. And they're giving us a warning about how we're treating the world. And that comes out in, uh, particularly in a song by Neil Young, who wrote a song in 1968, which talks about, um, uh, it's called After the Gold Rush. And the theme of the song is that we're treating the world like a gold rush. And when the gold is gone, the UFOs are going to come and they're going to pick up the chosen ones and take them to another planet. And if you listen to experiencers, they will all talk about this cataclysm. The fact that a number of them have told me that they will be taken. There's going to be this rapture type event and they believe this is going to happen, that the world is going to be separated and people are going to be taken. That was Canadian ufologist Grant Cameron in a clip from the documentary film The Resonance. And we are back with Dr. Lana Marconi and Sandra Kurzakos. Uh, you mentioned this experiment uh, in, in consciousness uh, creation. Uh, what do you mean by that? 
we'll start with uh, well either of you uh, jump in Jen, okay or? sure uh, I'm uh, we are an experiment in, in conscious creation that's what the human experiment is all about and we learn we are about consciously creating our reality through our thoughts emotions and beliefs and it's true it's the emotions that actually create this reality and a lot of people have heard about um, you create your own reality I think that that's pretty well known in a lot of circles and um, what I do with Shift Into One and, and, and this, what this experiment is all about is understanding how that works so that we can consciously create our reality. Right now, 99% of the population is unconsciously creating their reality. And um, in that is because we do not understand the emotional and mental physics of this human experiment. We have not been at the level of awareness where we, we've been able to expand into that consciousness. And now we are moving into that consciousness. Well, what does that have to do with uh, ETs or UFOs? Well, once when as you do this, as you move into this level of awareness, you start to understand the re, our reality very, very differently. You uh, things are no longer as solid or finite, and in that moving through that, you raise your vibration, and as you raise your vibration, you're raising your frequency level, and as you do that, you start to communicate with interdimensional beings, and then you start to move into yeah, um, understanding your galactic nature. Now, where when I tap into understanding the human experiment, I'm tapping into understanding it from beyond, from the origin of the creation of the human species. At that level of awareness, I, I can tap into all um, the uh, um, extraterrestrials and the other galactic beings. It's like being at the round table of galactic beings that have created this human experiment. So, so um, when we move into clearing our fourth dimensional um, reality and we move into our quantum nature, that's when we become galactic and that is the connection between the resonance because we're moving into starting to understand that um, there is uh, as you start to move through that fourth dimension you can't help but move into that level of awareness and they will the the galactic beings will start to come to, as we raise our level of awareness they will ra- will lower their level of awareness to match our level of awareness to a certain frequency point. They can't come too low if we're, if we're too dense in our vibration. Mm. But as we raise our awareness, we, they can meet us. And that's what starts to happen. People will move interdimensionally. You'll start to experience time in a totally different way. Time becomes rather than linear in third dimension. It moves into circular time. And then we move into spir- a spherical time as you move up fourth dimension. And then as you move into fifth dimension, you move into no time and no space. And then you can experience being in more than one place at one time. And you can experience yourself as as a galactic being, as well as a human being, as well as any type of consciousness that you choose to experience. Now, you're talking about interdimensionals. At the same time, you're talking about galactic. Uh, so, we, I mean, the terms extraterrestrial and interdimensional are almost mutually exclusive. Are they not, Dr. Marconi? So I can give a difference, um, an example of the difference in awareness. Um, when I was filming um, Stanton Friedman, he's this amazing gentleman. I asked him a very stupid question, and I wanted to ask him a stupid question because I wanted to see what his response was. And when I asked him the stupid question, he just looked at me like, you, Dr. Lynn, are asking me this question. And um, the question was, I said, Stan, why don't the aliens land on the White House lawn and save us? And he looked right. at and That's he, what everybody asks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he's just like rolling his eyes. And he goes, well, and his sarcastic answer was, you know, I hate to say it, but the president of the United States doesn't speak for, you know, 8 billion earthlings. And you can't land on the White House lawn because it's a no-fly zone. (laughs) 
So <laughs> my answer... To that, that sounds like Stan. <laughs> yeah, so my answer to that question is this. Um, we need to think like extraterrestrials. They are they are multidimensional beings, but they're also interdimensional beings. And if you understand quantum physics, quantum physics says that two or more objects can occupy the same space. So in that sense, UFOs are probably on the White House lawn right now in a different space, but we can't see it because we haven't developed our higher human perceptual system. So my doctoral work is actually in transpersonal psychology, which is spiritual psychology and also energy medicine, which is about developing the innate technology within our body, brain, and mind in order to access other dimensions beyond our physical senses. Right. Is this why some people, uh, actually this is kind of a two-parter. One, I mean, we had 150 million people since 1947, according to the UN, have seen a UFO. Uh, let's say 1% of those are unexplainable. That's still, as I always like to say, that's still uh, 1.5 million, which is more people than have seen, you know, an unassisted triple play or, you know, wolves being born in the wild. That's, you know, it's a big number, mm-hmm. 1.5 million people. Uh, but it seems, and, and many of those are multi-experiencers. They've seen it more than once. I've never seen one. I probably never will. Uh, this vibration that you're talking about, mm-hmm. is this why some people, A, uh, see them while others do not, and B, is this why they appear to flit in and out of our, you know, dim, uh, re- our dimensional reality, our three-dimensional reality? It, yes and no. Um, in my documentary, there's certain themes that come up. For example, there's, okay, what's the evidence? And that evidence turns out to be both physical and non-physical. Why is the evidence disregarded? Are the aliens good or evil? What's their message? What are their characteristics? How do spaceships work? Getting back to how can people, some people see UFOs and how can some people not? I have 13 speakers in this film and each one of them gives their own perception on each of those themes. Right. So you're going to see that those themes spun like different ways, and which is really cool because then you can understand the totality of ETs and UFOs because every speaker, they just have a piece of the puzzle. And when you hear each piece, you're like, wow, okay, now it's all coming together. Michael Horn, for example, will say, you know, cattle mutilations, it's all secret military. He'll say, we've had 10,000 years, we've been on this planet for 10,000 years, we've only had 250 scattered years of peace, and it wasn't because aliens were attacking us. It's secret military. It does seem odd that uh, a, let's say a, I don't know, what what would Michio Kaku refer to these uh, ETs as, a type 1, type 2, type 3 civilization. In other words, they have supposedly harnessed the power of the sun, and yet they would have to travel... Uh, millions of light years uh, to get here to mutilate cows to do what? I mean, if they have that ability, if they are, if they can harness the power of the sun, which is a furnace, they could create whatever organic, biological, chemical material they need with a snap of their fingers. So, yeah, the cattle mutilation thing has always has always puzzled me. Yeah, and wait to hear Patty Greer talk about the crop circle thing too. <laughs> oh yes, maybe, yes, she, she was at one she of my gives it to the media. Let me tell you. Yeah. Well. Uh, one of the things is uh, I haven't seen the film yet, and um, Lana has doesn't want any of us to see the film before uh, before the actual uh, premiere on November twenty first. These directors so, are so temperamental. I, you know what? So it's so you know when she talks when 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 you know when when she was asking me, okay, Sandra, you need to write a little bit about what your role in the film is. I'm thinking, okay, Lana, I don't know what my role in the film was because I just went over and asked questions and um, uh, and answered questions, and she pieced it all together. So it's interesting because. 
I am uh, it's it's this is the first time I'm getting to hear all these different perspectives and it's it's quite interesting from my perspective right. to actually hear all these different things it's uh it's it, to me from a, a from where I come from which is a consciousness creates perspective it's all about the diversity in the human experiment and mm. truly we can we will and can experience as far and as wide as our belief system will allow us to go. And it's, it's wild for me to hear all of these different things um, and, and how it's being understood and interpreted by different levels of awareness. It's very cool. That's interesting because uh, you, you said something there very interesting. Uh, as far as our belief systems will allow us to go. Now, Victor Vigiani, who's in, in your, uh, in your mm-hmm. film, good friend of mine, Victor uh, Catholic, uh, was a principal at a, in the Catholic School Board. Don Schmidt, one of the preeminent Roswell investigators, a staunch uh, Catholic. Uh, I'm an, an Orthodox Christian. Uh, and so this whole subject matter d- d- does, even for people that are uh, you know, e- totally immersed in it as investigators, it, is, it presents conflicts mm-hmm. for them. Uh, and and I, I asked Don about that once uh, off stage at an event I was hosting. I said, how do you, as a Catholic, how do you wrap your head around this? He says, quite frankly, I don't, you know, it, 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 I don't know what they are. Uh, I'm only, you know, sort of looking at the evidence, and I'm. It's it's difficult, he says, uh, and and I know that Victor has some questions as to, you know, how does this sort of fit into the whole biblical narrative? As do I. Is there hmm. is there room in uh, sort of your belief system that what we are talking about here are not necessarily all of them and. Uh, all of these entities are not necessarily spiritually evolved. If we were talking about interdimensional, there could also be uh, dark forces. Um, from the biblical perspective, we might call them demonic. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple things that you said there. Um, people who have been programmed, let's say, with religion. See, I'm approaching this from a health perspective because it's about deprogramming yourself and opening yourself up. I don't think I've been programmed with <laughs> religion. Well, maybe not you, but right. a lot of people have been from sure. the time that they were little, right? And so the, the healing process is unwinding yourself from all those structures and opening yourself up to the truth of reality. I mean, they call Maya the illusion, right? So you want to unravel from that. Um, in terms of dark entities, let me give you a quick story. When I, when I emailed Grant Cameron to set up an interview with him, I said, Grant, I would like to show um, about good aliens. And he emailed me back. He's like, good aliens? What a concept. How did you ever sell that? <laughs> okay. And um, so I filmed him. It was great. A couple of weeks later, I talked to a multimillionaire investment banker who um, he's from Canada, but he lives in Los Angeles now. And um, I was looking for funding for my film. And a friend had set me up with him, and he actually funds one of Canada's top shows. I'm not going to say which one. And he said, well, what's your spin on aliens? I said, I want to show the goodness of aliens, what they're doing. He goes, he goes I'm into return on investment films. He goes, you know, I could show the opposite of what you're showing. You know, evil aliens are what sells. Right. Well, right. Uh, we'll, we'll take a time out. Yeah. We'll come back and we'll pursue that. Uh, this, is, this is an interesting thread. Let's, uh, let's do that. Dr. Lana Marconi, uh, the uh, producer, filmmaker. The film is called The Resonance. 
And uh, also in studio with us is Sandra Kurzakos, back with more on The Conspiracy Show. Do not go away. And we are back with Dr. Lana Marconi. The film is The Resonance, a screening on November the 21st here in Toronto. Uh, also in studio, Sandra Kurzakos, who is in the film. Uh, before we uh, get back into that final point, uh, Alana, before we forget, just give us the details on the, the screening here in November. And then also, how um, if they're not in town to see the screening, how else can they see The Resonance? Okay, sure. So it's Saturday, November 21st at the J.J.R. McLeod uh, Theatre at University of Toronto in Toronto from 1 to 6. You can buy tickets on my website, drlana.com. Also on modernknowledge.ca, I want to just extend huge gratitude to Modern Knowledge and Chris Rusak for hosting the event for us. Mm-hmm. We are um, going to be doing a webcast of it, so that information will be up on my website as well soon. Excellent. All right. Now, before the break, uh, I was asking you a very convoluted, circuitous question uh, about uh, belief systems, how the how uh, the ET UFO issues, uh, how you can maybe help square that with um, uh, maybe a, a biblical narrative, or maybe you can't. But you were talking about you wanted to make a film about good aliens, and uh, the, all the popcorn movies are about you know War of the Worlds, and they're about bad aliens, which I I, w- I don't necessarily agree. Uh, I mean, E.T., you know, one of the top grossing movies of all time. I mean, th- th- we are getting mixed signals out of Hollywood. I just had Robbie Graham on, on, the, on, the, on the show, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it is interesting. We, you know, we're kind of being pulled mm-hmm. and tugged in different directions from Hollywood. But anyway, mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, so that's what I learned from him in Hollywood. Evil aliens are what sells, and, um, you know, a lot of them aren't interested in healing humanity. So and so and then when I actually met Patty Greer when I filmed her she gave me a big hug and said wow like congratulations for doing this film because I thought I was the only woman filmmaker in this industry did you know it was all men <laughs> I was like no I don't know what I'm walking into <laughs> now if you want to talk about the Bible the Bible was written all by men <laughs> okay um, so is that a bad thing it's it's not but the information is not accurate what's in the Bible. But that's a whole other show. According according to what you have learned, <laughs> yeah. right? According to the ETs and things. So my <laughs> film is about unity consciousness, and that's a huge, huge message that's coming down from the from the ETs. And in a lot of other extraterrestrial shows, you'll see it's more about, it's, it's very fear-based, and it has nothing to do with healing or health. And um, while I do show um, abductions and it is explained in my film, it, the focus is more on unity consciousness because we need to move beyond, okay, there's lights in the sky. We know there's lights in the sky. We need to move beyond disclosure and full disclosure into now what? So going back to my question when I asked Stan that stupid question, um, you know, why don't they land on the White House long? That's, that, would, that question would be asked by somebody who um, has not developed their consciousness. Uh, a more mature question would be how can I develop my own inner technology within me to actualize my own human perceptual system to connect with them because they are trying to connect with us. So we actually need to grow up and connect with them to have um, to raise our status in the galactic neighborhood and reclaim our sovereignty. And really that's that's what it's all about. Okay, so, so back to my uh, um, the, the initial question. And, and is there room here uh, for a discussion about whether, if we're talking about interdimensional and we're mm-hmm. talking about, let's say, uh, I'll call it an angelic realm, uh, and if again trying to trying to square this with with um, my sort of faith filter, uh, could we be talking about angels and demons here? Mm-hmm. We could, and from a healing perspective, like you'll hear you'll hear Jason quit in in the movie, and he's an energy healer, and even from my own experience working in a clinic and and doing energy healing on people. 
people come in with attachments, dark energies on them. You know, I, I've seen them. I'm, I'm in the health field. I see them all the time on people. And my job is to clear them, you know, and send those beings back to the light. So these beings, they do exist. But the focus shouldn't be on those beings. The focus should be on the light. But what, about, what do we make? I know you, you don't dwell on the alien abduction phenomenon, but I mean, I've talked to countless um, alleged abductees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it sounds like a horrific uh, episode. And but some- it, it goes back to resonance, right? Mm-hmm. And Jason Quitt really explains it well. And so does Sandra. And Jason will say, um, you know, if you're an addict, for example, you're going to attract beings that resonate with that addict energy. If you meditate and eat healthy, you're going to attract beings that are going to resonate with that energy. And Jason also goes on to explain, you have to remember, you created this. You've called this in for yourself. So you need to look within you why this is happening. Stop playing the victim. So like attracts like. It mirrors. It's a mirror. Okay, got to take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, continue our conversation. The Resonance, Dr. Lana Marconi and Sandra Kurzakos, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. And we are back with Dr. Lana Marconi, and she is the filmmaker. It is called The Resonance, and it features kind of a who's who from the world of ufology. Dr. Stanton Friedman, our good friend Victor Vigiani, uh, Canadian ufologist Grant Cameron from the website presidentialufos.com. Also featured in the film and sitting here with us is Sandra Kurzakos. And Sandra, you were just... Uh, champing at the bit uh, <laughs> to get in on this discussion. Before the break, we were talking about the alien abduction uh, phenomenon. And and um, go ahead. The floor is yours. Well, what I wanted to say was, um, to Lana's point, it, this is uh, our choice. We created this. And from a consciousness create um, consciousness creation point of view from the experiment perspective, we have what's called a soul contract. And in that contract, we, before we incarnate, we have, um, we have created every single possible scenario that we could possibly experience. So when you can think of something or imagine something, it's already done. It's already written in your contract. The very fact that you think of it, it shows you that it's part of the possibilities. And this is where parallel realities come into and, and that kind of thing. Um, there are so many directions we can go on in this conversation. But um, uh, so so when we are experiencing things like uh, abductions, it is already agreed to before we incarnated by all parties involved. So it's very much like a, a computer game. If you were to be playing it with your Xbox or something, and you decide to you know jump off the rock instead of going through the door, when you jump off the rock, then the program has to give you different options of what to do there. And then, and then, let's say from from there, you could fly in a plane, and then so you choose to fly in the plane, but you could have also gone in the car. The, the program has to have all of those possible um, scenarios written in the program, but you only get to experience that particular one, even though there's all the, the different um, uh, uh, venues or avenues you can go down. So we are so living in a computer simulation. We we actually are. We are a, a hologram. We are a virtual reality hologram. We truly are. So anybody who is experiencing Experiencing those um, those exper- those negative experiences is because they are they have that written in their contract as a potential. Depending on the choices they've made throughout their life, it will lead to specific other choices, and that's what they're experiencing. That's a very sort of Buddhist uh, perspective. The whole idea mm-hmm. of karma, uh, but mm-hmm. I mean, also mm-hmm. very controversial. I mean, how do you say to someone, 
you know, you, you, you know, you asked to be murdered or you asked to be assaulted or, I mean, you agreed to this. It's a, I mean, that's very difficult to wrap your head around. And, and this is why, yes, and this is why we have to move into that more mature um, level that, that Lana was talking about. We have to detach ourselves from the human experiment. We have to detach ourselves from... Um, can I say something? We have to detach ourselves from the story. Cur- it's well, the story. So, not to take away from it, but it's just a story, right? Yes, and and yes. our whole purpose is to take 100% responsibility for what we do. You know, humans only take maybe 30% responsibility and blame everybody else for everything happening to them. It was right. his fault this happened. Right, right. And that's when you stay at that lower vibration and you're more vulnerable to negative beings mm-hmm. being attached mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. It's when you come into your full power and you take a hundred and I'm talking a hundred percent responsibility for your thoughts, feelings and Words, actions, actions yeah. that you're now in alignment. You are now resonating with superior beings who's going to, they're going to give you knowledge and wisdom and your life is going to fly. It's a totally different perception. Well, without giving too much away, obviously, of the film, but I'd be curious to know how Dr. Stanton Friedman is going to be worked into this narrative because he, to me, he always seems like such a meat and potatoes <laughs> kind of guy. He was a you know, nuclear physicist who actually, you know, believes, you know, we don't have to be looking millions and millions of light years away. They are in our galactic backyard. They have, you know, any details, the propulsion yeah. systems and so forth. This seems to be like eons beyond it's, what Stanton is on about. Because this, it's, it's, I'm weaving together a fabric. It's, it's mm-hmm. weaving everybody, all their voices together, and they all fit. And I just want to mention Don Dondary. He's a PhD retired psychologist, um, professor at McGill University, and um, he wrote a book called UFOs, ETs, and Alien Objections, A Scientist's Look at the Evidence, and his information is remarkable. And I also just want to if I can, just read a quote here from Jason Quitt, because he brings up a really good theme of who are we? Are we really human or are we something more? And he says in the film, we have never been alone on this planet. We have always been watched by other beings. Some of the beings that watch us even incarnate here. There are many alien beings living in human bodies, having human experiences because they want to help this race along. Many of us will awaken with memories of celestial families coming to visit us to remind us that we are star beings living on Earth. That is absolutely accurate. Mm. Now, I hope I'm not telling mm. a tale out of school here, uh, Sandra, but while we were sitting in here in studio, can yes. I go there? You yes, know absolutely. All right. An orange and white cat walked by the window here uh, as we look out into the uh, courtyard courtyard of Liberty Village, and you were a slack-jawed for a moment. Yes, I was. Uh, and I wasn't sure why, <laughs> and then you explained. What was the significance of that cat walking by? Well, first of all, this is not a place I would expect to see a cat walking by. And because we're on the eighth floor. No, just no. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually walking in the air. No, he's floating. No, um, but so uh, I, I was stunned to see it because um, we were, were talking about ETs, and, and during the break, I said, Richard, that if you want to talk ETs and ETs living amongst us, as, as mm-hmm. Lana was saying, cats are ETs. If you really want to look at um, our world, many, many creatures here are ETs, and cats are, they are, there is a feline race, and they are advanced beings and they can they are cats are known for being psychic and intuitive they are actually here to help us tap into that higher awareness and that cat walking by was not a coincidence that the that when i saw that cat i knew that he was um coming around and kind of supporting it. and as in in my personal experience i have experienced my my consciousness has experienced what it is like to be an animal and I can tap into that experience and it is in that at that level of awareness that I can actually tap into the cat that walked 
across us. And, um, and he was basically here to basically give us an example of ETs amongst us, to, to Lana's point, whether they're in human form or a non-human form. There are many galactic beings on the planet right now. Is, uh, I mean, uh, is there a hybridiz- hybridization program uh, going on in, 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 in any way? I mean, are there are, are cats are among us, mm-hmm. aliens are among us? Uh, are, are we passing other uh, ETs in the street we may not be aware? I mean, is there, are there hybrids? Here on Earth now. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on that? You'll have to watch the movie. Oh, all right. all right, a cliffhanger, <laughs> a cliffhanger. But I mean, for example, Dr. David Jacobs um, uh, has, you know, been quite vocal about his 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 theories, and he's been researching abductees for many many years, and was one of the co-authors of the Roper Poll. And according to you know, be, I, people can quibble, I guess, with the, with the, uh, the 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 science or the the, the process that that poll was conducted. But uh, according to his findings, something like uh, I think it's on the order of 300 or 400,000 uh, Americans may have been uh, abducted. And he, he believes that there is this hybridization going on. Um, I mean... Mm-hmm. So Paul Hellyer, Honorable Paul Hellyer in yeah. the film, one of the stories that he tells is of the Cold War where there was 50 UFOs flying south over Europe and the Secure at the time, the Supreme Allied Commander, um, was about to press the panic button when these UFOs turned and flew back over the North Pole, and um, the uh, Sakura ordered a study, like, who are these beings, what happened? Mm -hmm. And it took three years, and the study came back that um, they were extraterrestrial, and they've been here for thousands of years. Hmm. We haven't talked about... Sorry, go ahead, Sandra. I was going to say, you know, if if we are an experiment, and, and, you know, we experiment on creatures here, wouldn't it make sense that we also might be experimented on, like... Uh, well, I, I would I would expect that from an entity that isn't necessarily spiritually in, evolved, though. I mean, uh, we do that, on, and now hopefully, you know, we're sort of getting beyond that. You know, sticking mascara in rabbits' eyes and things like that. <laughs> we're not very evolved in in some ways. But you mentioned Paul Hellyer. We haven't talked about the Honorable Paul Hellyer, who's now ninety two, I believe, and just mm-hmm. as spry and as alert as ever. This it's interesting, you know, that he has spent uh, the last uh, well. Ten years, really, since 2005, when he spoke out at uh, the Hart House at University of Toronto, that he would be willing to jeopardize his entire legacy over this issue. And I I find that quite remarkable. What are your thoughts about uh, I asked him after I interviewed him in his house. And like I said, just a very kind gentleman, and I really enjoyed interviewing. And after it, I, I looked at him, I'm like, Paul, do you regret any part of this? And he looked at me, and he was like, no, and neither should you. This is important work. And then he said that um, he was about to get married to his second wife. Um, and the day that he came out was, I think the wedding was the day after or something like that. And his wife was like, I'm not sure about you doing this, you know. And um, he said, oh, it's just going to be a one-time thing. And then little did he know, <laughs> it turned into 10 years right, of research. Right. But he has no regrets. I asked him. And, in, and it all started with the Philip Corso book. Someone handed him this book and he took it up for a little summer reading up at the cottage. Uh, and I've always been curious to know because I don't think he's ever revealed this, but he talks about speaking with uh, some uh, high-ranking official in the U.S. military who said everything that you read in that book is true and then some. Um, but I need to know who that was, really, <laughs> because otherwise it all sort of – at least his end of the story unravels. Mm-hmm. You know, it's secondhand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
What are your What are your thoughts about that? I mean, I think we need to get Paul here. Absolutely. Well, he's been here a number of times. <laughs> but you brought up a, you brought up a really good point that that book was a triggering event for him. And when you hear um, Grant Cameron talk, his triggering event was um, the Charlie Red Star experience back in the seventies in mm-hmm. Carmen, Manitoba, and that he says in the film was his awakening process. So I think we all have these triggering events mm-hmm. that awaken mm-hmm. us. Whether it's someone right. gives us a book, does it really matter who it was? It woke him up to do the important work. Right. You know, at right. the end of the day, but that's... sources. I mean, as, a, as, a, as someone had a little bit of journalistic training, sources are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What was your triggering event? I just always wanted to live my potential and be in alignment with who I am, and I've just always followed that, my inner truth. All right. Are you an experiencer? I do healing on people, and so my guidance, if you want to call it that, is always with me when I'm with a patient or a client. So for me, it's always been on a positive aspect. Right, right. And Sandra, Uh, your triggering moment? uh, Six years old. And? Uh, I experienced what it was like to be a fully activated empath, and I was actually able to move um, and become a fish that was dying on the on the deck of uh, of a, a boat when I went fishing with my father, and I became the fish as the fish was flapping around, um, I, not really suffocating, but struggling uh, struggling to breathe. I started to struggle to breathe, and I automatically I, I assumed that fish identity, and I started to struggle to breathe. I started to become suffocated. I started to go blue. And what so does my, a six year old do with that information? I, well, I shut it down. I shut it down till forty. I shut it down until you were forty. Yes, I shut it down. And and through, but but I at that time I still I had many 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 experiences, um, but just kind of shoved them all down. And then when I hit forty, everybody to your point, everybody has their awakening, and uh, I could no longer. I could no longer shut it down anymore because it came to the point where I was suffering so much by stifling it all that that was causing more damage than letting it out. And that's when I moved forward with uh, stepping into my in, my power and, and following my truth. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Lana Marconi, I am uh, very anxious to see how you manage to... <laughs> Bring all of these disparate uh, points of view, Dr. Stanton Friedman and Victor Vigiani and Grant Cameron and uh, Sandra Kurzakos uh, into the one, uh, what's going to be one hell of a documentary. Yeah, it was, it was. <laughs> Putting it together, <laughs> let me tell you, that's why it's two hours. <laughs> okay, so once again, uh, screening here in Toronto at the uh, St. George Campus, University of Toronto, mm-hmm. November the 21st, and again, the particulars... Dr. Lana, uh, please visit www.drlana.com for tickets. All the information is on that website. All right, Dr. Lana uh, Marconi and uh, Sandra Kurzakos, thank you so much. Uh, Don't forget, the website is strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal to The Conspiracy Show and uh, the free app. It's a free download at uh, Google Play and iTunes. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Sarrett. In the meantime, follow the truth. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your RV, camper, taxi, that greasy spoon diner just off the interstate, your cabin in the woods. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. We're coming at you from the Great White North here in Toronto and Zoomerplex, located in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. A special hello to all of you listening to us live on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM, our flagship station. Uh, Those of you streaming the show from the Zoomer Radio app, uh, or zoomerradio.ca. And and speaking of the Zoomer Radio app, if you don't have it, you should get it. It's a free download. Uh, And, uh, of course, a lot of great music played on this station, not just this show. There's so much to listen to. George Genescu's Big Band Sunday Night and so forth. But uh, it's a free download 
from uh, Google Play, I believe, and uh, uh, the iTunes Store. And it's uh, it's very cool because once you download, you'll see it looks just like a transistor radio. It transforms your smartphone into a transistor radio, and that'll take you back. Uh, it looks very cool. So it's almost like a time machine. And um, uh, those of you listening to the Conspiracy Show app or listening to the show through the Conspiracy Show app, and I think we're around 2,500 subscribers now to the Conspiracy Show app, also a free download, Google Play and iTunes. Uh, those listening to the podcasts uh, on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, TalkZone.com. Finally, uh, but uh, certainly not least, those listening in on one of our great affiliates uh, stateside. Uh, we're we're um, up over 30 now. And uh, so wherever and however you are listening to The Conspiracy Show, I bid you the warmest of welcomes. It's been a few weeks since the federal election up here in Canada. Our new Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has been sworn in. So it's time to sift through the entrails and look back at that election. Independent researcher broadcaster George Freund is standing by to talk about what he sees as some political skullduggery. Uh, some, some, um, uh, well, uh, the fix is in, he says. He heard from some polling clerks and returning officers here in Toronto who said the winners in their ridings were announced before their ballot boxes were even opened. Hmm. And George is going to reveal what he believes is a mechanism or the mechanism, the mechanism through which elections here in Canada and possibly in the U.S., are manipulated, are fixed. It's all about this special algorithm. He'll be by in a few moments to explain all. Rosemary Ellen Guiley will also join us at the bottom of the hour with another Paranormal News Roundup. Uh, Just a quick reminder, the complete seasons, one through season three of my television program, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, now available in HD through Amazon.com. Also available in the U.S. on Hulu. And, of course, Season 4 of the television show. Brand new episodes coming soon to Vision TV and across Canada. Still waiting for an actual air date, but they're all in the can and ready to go. Okay, here's how it sounded uh, a few weeks back on election night here in Canada. Our new Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. For 20 years, George Freund has been a talk radio junkie, revealing to millions upon millions the dark machinations of the shadow government. He's learned that corporate media is nothing but a slick propaganda machine to lure us into sleep. His wildly popular podcast, Conspiracy Cafe, is an alternative media forum that challenges popular opinion with difficult truths. As a student with a passion for the intelligence history of the world, events can be applied to those victims. Those who don't know their history are condemned to repeat it. And if there's anything learned from history, it is people learn nothing from history. I didn't make history tonight. You did. And don't let anyone tell you any differently. I know that I am on stage tonight for one reason and one reason only, because you put me here. Over the past three years, you told us what you're going through. You told us that it's getting harder and harder to make ends meet, let alone to get ahead. You told us you're worried about whether you'll be able to afford 
a dignified retirement. You told us that your communities need investment. You told us you need a fair shot at better jobs. You are the inspiration for our efforts. You are the reason why we worked so hard to be here tonight, and you will be at the heart of this new government. George Freund, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Richard. So, our, uh, our new prime minister has been newly minted, just sworn in uh, up at uh, Redo Hall. And uh, I get this email from you, oh, about um, four or five days ago. Uh, you were hearing from, I guess, some of the returning officers during election night some, some rather strange uh, inconsistencies or occurrences. Uh, tell me about that, George. Well, the first one happened in Toronto Centre. I was talking to a person who was working as a returning officer, and she told me as uh, she pulled into the uh, place where they were going to count the ballot, she already heard the results on the car radio. For Toronto Centre, not for the national results, but for that riding. Just, well, yeah, I'll deal specifically with those ridings, because that's where these officers were. Right. And she was just flabbergasted, because she hadn't even got out of the car with the ballot boxes and opened them yet. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, you know, isn't that convenient? But it is a very strong liberal writing, so it's no big surprise. You know, I wasn't too sure exactly how they came to this uh, conclusion. Then I talked to another person who was working in Parkdale High Park. and That's an NDP writing. Yeah, well, it was. Mm-hmm. And I got the same story. You know, they were late getting to the place where they count the ballots. Uh, They were short a couple of people or something, and they had to wait. And then the same thing, it's 11 o'clock, they announced the victor, and they haven't even opened the ballot boxes. Well, but, uh, now, disabuse me of this, George, if I'm incorrect, but the way it works, I believe, is, uh, you know, each riding has, it could have, I don't know, 100 polling stations. So if they were the last, for example, if they were the last uh, polling station to report, uh, you know, maybe based on the findings of the other 99 polling stations, they were able to declare a winner. Is that not possible? A possible explanation? That's not how it works anymore, Richard. Okay. That's right. not how it's worked for a long time. We live with an illusion, and this is where the third returning officer came in and goes, my mother works for the CBC. We don't worry about the ballots. We use algorithms. The algorithm decides the election. And then right away, that was just like a lightning bolt into my heart, because I'm very, very familiar with how the algorithm has worked in the past, primarily the book vote scam by the Collier brothers, who laid out all these problems in the United States, uh, you know, back in the 90s when they, when they published this work. Their daughter, niece, uh, Victoria, is still running a website vote scam. And uh, this is what decides what's going on. It's well known in the media. In the interim, I was talking to a reporter in Toronto and seeing if, uh, you know, they'd be interested in writing stories about something like this. They go, oh, you know, they know all about the algorithm. That's what decides the ballots. Well, explain what this algorithm is, this, this mathematical formula that you say. Um, now, is it a predictive tool? Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, I found a university research paper from the University of Rochester by a Piotr Falozuski, a Polish guy, so I might not be pronouncing that too right. That was his PhD thesis in 2008, and it's called Manipulation of Elections, Algorithms, and Infeasibility Results. Hmm. 
So this is an age, age old thing. This is what happened in vote scam. This is what happened in Canadian elections past when they got rid of Diefenbaker. The Americans were very keen on getting rid of Diefenbaker because he wanted, uh, he didn't want the nuclear missiles on Canadian soil. So he was deemed a risk, and the U.S. ambassador to Canada, Livingston Merchant, uh, decided that he was going to get rid of them with a couple of Air Force officers and the compliance of Canadian journalists. And uh, lo and behold, uh, a pollster by the name of Lou Harris came to Canada as part of the spin machine with his algorithms. The Harris poll. Well, that's a very famous pollster. Yes, indeed. That's the whole history of polls, uh, by and large. They go... You know, right back to the very beginning in World War II, they were designed as an intelligence uh, uh, trick. So that way, if you hear a poll about something and it says, you know, most people want this or that, then you'll accept it because you believe that the majority should rule. Well, so, or, or, you know, there's, there's, depending on the size of the sample, the larger the sample, supposedly, the greater the accuracy. Uh, and then, of course, there's always a margin of error. The, the larger the sample, the, usually the smaller the sample, or the, the, large, the smaller the, uh, the margin of error. But let's, let's just go back to, uh, you mentioned these two, two ridings. You mentioned Parkdale and you mentioned Toronto Center. Well, the Parkdale one was uh, most interesting because that was a close race. So the algorithm is based on the polls. And what the polls say uh, will generally be what the results are supposed to be. So they announce the algorithm's point of view, not the actual vote count. And uh, where Parkdale uh, High Park is a problem is the people who were counting the ballots were having a problem with this because, uh, you know, one of them was rather vulgar in her comments. Is, you see, I wasted my whole night counting these, you know, beep-beep things for nothing. And uh, because that was a very tight race. And uh, now, Parkdale was at the NDP, uh, the incumbent there was Peggy Nash. Correct. And she was running, uh, and she lost to a liberal. Yes. And and uh, he was celebrating at eleven o'clock, where they were still counting the the ballots, and it was one of those it could go either way uh, sort of uh, runs. And technically, when they use the algorithm, when you get to uh, a tight race, they're supposed to actually count the ballots and rely on the ballots. But that's like one of those Mary Poppins pie crust promises: easily made, easily broken. I'm starting to smell a, a very big rat there, mostly because I know the history of vote scam, and I know how we uh, did the election with Diefenbaker, and they got rid of Pearson, too, later, when he was just determined to be just a little too left of uh, center for the American point of view. Actually, they called him, you know, one of those pinko commies back in those days. Cause well, I remember there's a very iconic shot of... Um, of uh, actually, I'm not sure if this was captured on, uh, on by a photograph. It may just be this story of... Uh, uh, Pearson, Mike Pearson, in the Oval Office, and he was lecturing Lyndon Baines Johnson about Vietnam, and LBJ reportedly uh, grabbed uh, uh, Pearson yes. by the scruff of the neck. Actually, it was lower than that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, I, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but now take me back into this discussion of this algorithm, which is a predictive tool. I, I got in, in, uh, about as far in, in math as about grade nine, uh, and then I'm lost. So explain how, in principle, this as easily or as best you can, how this algorithm uh, is created and how it is used. Well, by and large, an algorithm is a step-by-step -step computation in uh, a finite space-time that calculates a function by data going in, just like you would have with any program in a computer, to get results coming out. 
But the beauty of uh, something like that is if we tweak the algorithm, and we probably saw this in the polls, where at the beginning we have a three-way split. And then it changes where they say, well, we're going to have a liberal majority all of a sudden in very short order. And that's been seen in American elections past, too, where the poll said one thing and then all of a sudden the result is very different. One of the classics might be Truman holding up the Dewey wins uh, headline back in the 40s or whatever when he was elected president. Right, Dewey beats Truman. And, and, and you know, yeah. it's just completely and totally out of context. So what this algorithm does is it predicts you know, predicts the potential for the future. But just like any computer program, if you put in some varied statistics or varied data, you're going to get a different result come out. And with that, you could steal the election. And who creates the algorithm? That is something I don't know. So uh, who's, like when we vote, we have this illusion that we put this piece of paper in the box, and it's sacred, and it's going to be stored and looked after and counted properly and kept on record for a recount if necessary. And that's what decides the election no matter how long it takes to count them. But I was always dubious about this lately because the elections are already for the 11 o'clock news. And I, you know, I've counted things. I used to work in the money industry, so I know what it's like to count a lot of pieces of paper. And you know, I'm like, wow, you know, that's pretty fast. Like the polls close, and then in a couple of hours you've counted all this paper, bagged it, tagged it, sealed it. Well, and, they did change uh, the law because people out on the West Coast were very annoyed that the election was being called even before they got out to cast their ballots. So they changed that, did they not, so that all the polls had to be closed before they announced? Uh, no, the polls out West were still open while we were doing our results, but our results probably weren't even our real results. I, I, I'm the conspiracy guy just like you, and I'm starting to smell a rat. All right, George, let me just step in here. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe, a very popular podcast, who joins us from time to time and uh, is here. Uh, as he says, he smells a rat with the last federal election. Uh, and our newly elected prime minister, just sworn in Justin Trudeau, may be a usurper. We'll find out more when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. We are back with George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe. Just a reminder, coming up at the bottom of the hour, our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, joins us, as she does this time every month for our Paranormal News Roundup. All right, back to the, uh, the federal election. And uh, George Freund, in summary, saying that uh, there is an algorithm that is used as a predictive tool to uh, sort of extrapolates and predicts the outcome of elections, but as he uh, has explained, the uh, I guess the inputs, uh, the data inputs on this algorithm can be massaged, manipulated uh, to create a desired outcome. Is that essentially what you're saying, George? Yes, indeed. And that's what the thesis uh, that we were talking about deals with, uh, how to do it in very fine technical detail that's beyond my mathematical capabilities. But we see the same pattern again. The Obama team sent some of their key players to work in the Trudeau election campaign, just like Lou Harris came up back in the 60s. And it's like a repetitive program. I'm seeing the same thing happen again. And that these people come up, they have an agenda to get Harris, our, uh, our Prime Minister before, uh, Mr. Stephen Harper, out. Not that that's a, a big problem with many people, but it's how it's done. Uh, was it done by tweaking the results so that we would have a liberal majority government and then throwing the ballots to the wind? Was there a, you know, a behind-the-scenes uh, backroom deal made to uh, maybe surrender some of the NDP seats uh, that may have... Uh, prevented Mr. Trudeau from having a majority government so that we could have a, an American-based common agenda that's more in line with what Mr. Obama wants. And uh, those are very, very serious allegations that are being made. 
uh, on my part, and uh, I, I smell this rat that they, they threw this in. Nobody seems to be too much interested to uh, look in how the algorithm is used and why certain seats were lost. Why don't we have like a mandatory recount uh, on certain things to know that the paper ballots are really what they're said to be? And that it's just automatic that some writings are picked at random and uh, we verify that uh, what we have there just to make sure that we're not cheated because it's just so technically capable uh, in this modern era to tweak elections. We have to be absolutely certain we have what we have. And some of the uh, mystery things behind Mr. Trudeau are absolutely scary. And, uh, you know, some of the uh, material I have here about his attending Moss, Moss in Montreal that, you know, had their funding cut off because of terror activity. They're on the watch list of the Department of Homeland Security. They had people attending, one who was in Guantanamo, uh, other chaps who are... co-conspirators, as they're called, for the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. What is your source, George, that, that he was well, these attending are all, these these uh, all published things from uh, the news. Okay. It's just it's stuff the media just lets slide off the floor. So one of them was called Justin Trudeau's Islamist Revival. It was a big thing in maybe some conservative uh, spheres that, uh, you know, this mosque he was going to was uh, supported by uh, a organization called Urfan that uh, is really in trouble with their banking uh, criteria that it's all under watch from American intelligence. This conference reviving the Islamic uh, spirit had people that, you know, basically should be in jail, like they believe uh, homosexuals should be stoned, that you can beat your wife but only lightly and things So they're like advocating that. Sharia law. Uh, yes, you know, massive application of Sharia law and funding coming down the road from Saudi sources which aren't exactly too nice. And we have to be very, very concerned about this, especially since he's going to be bringing in a lot of refugees very shortly. And uh, I question the whole process of this. The rioting that's going on in Europe just seems to be scandalous. And uh, some of the uh, pictures I've seen that are even-handed, as opposed to the warm, fuzzy photos the CBC uses, were people who look like they came out of Colonel Gaddafi's army. They were young, fit, strong, single men. And, uh, you know, just looked like they were soldiers as opposed to, you know, definitely they weren't Syrian and they hardly seemed to be refugees. So I'm, I'm very concerned about that uh, as, you know, someone who may be having the whole fabric of our country turned over overnight. And, uh, you know, why are these refugees going to military bases as opposed to the local church basement or something like that? Is that because that's where the arms are stored? Uh, these are very serious questions that have to be asked uh, from this man. The whole thing that got this started, I know I sent you that uh, when it came out, was this propaganda photograph of the dead child on the beach. Yes. That wasn't a dead body. <laughs> There's no decomposition. Uh, when you drown, you have frothing at the mouth. There's absolutely nothing there that would imply the child's dead. And I found another picture of the child in another place behind a big rock with the same policeman taken from another angle on, like, NBC News or something like that that disappeared off the Internet quickly. So I'm glad I save all those uh, things. And I wrote up a blog on that, that that was a propaganda photo, and that child was not dead. And then it turns out the father's a people smuggler and drinker uh, of, you know, lesser-known repute. So I just look at this as a giant red herring to open the floodgates, as Colonel Gaddafi said in his time, 500,000-man army is going to come across the Mediterranean and uh, infiltrate Europe if anything happens to him. Is, are, are we well on the way to this? There's legitimate refugees, sure, 
bring them in. I don't have a problem with that. But at the same token, we have to be very, very careful that we don't allow in any dangerous influences. And Mr. Trudeau, when he was attending these mosques that are on the watch lists in Canada and the United States, said the prayer. And when you say the prayer in front of two adult Muslim men, you're converted. Uh, did he convert, or was he just going through the motions? Mm. The scary part was it was a nonpartisan affair. Julian Fantino was there in his capacity as chief of police back in the day in 2012, and former RCMP Commissioner Zaccardelli was there. And uh, so it was a very broad-based thing. Uh, I don't think Fantino was chief of police in 2012. Uh, that would, would have been Bill Blair. Oh, well, I might have my date wrong, but right. it said uh, he, he was there in his capacity okay. at that uh, at that event uh, when he was a chief of police. Well, George, I mean, this is all very incendiary stuff. I don't, I don't know what to make of it. However, um, we'll find out soon. Well, perhaps. Uh, but, but back to the the algorithm and the election scam. Uh, uh, I mean, we have we have two ridings. We have reports from from Toronto Center, and we have uh, this returning officer or polling clerk from from Parkdale. Uh, now, two ridings doth not make a conspiracy one might argue. Uh, well, let's just say you have someone who's like a lawyer for professional sports, like Alan Eagleson, and he has contracts with many hockey players. And then you find out he kind of defrauded one. And then the other hockey players look and go, hey, wait a minute, he's handling my accounts too. And then they find out later after they check the books that he was defrauding more than one, he was defrauding many. And then he's sort of disgraced and taken out of the picture. Uh, that's the big thing about an investigation, is sometimes you only catch the one crime first, and then when you catch the one crime, you start going over the books for a lot of other things, and then you find irregularities and more irregularities, and you realize you're in a room with a big elephant. Okay, so why hasn't, for example, you mentioned the riding of Parkdale and, and the incumbent who was defeated, Peggy Nash, member of the New Democratic Party, uh, and it's interesting, you mentioned the polling, and, and it was very curious. I've never seen an election cycle like this where the, the, um, the polls switched so often. At one time, they were projecting an NDP minority, and then, uh, then it was a conservative minority, then a liberal majority, and then the liberals were in third place, and we were basically counting them out. Back and forth it went. Well, what was that all about? Were they just toying with us? Uh, no, they were tweaking the algorithm to get the desired result. Okay. I believe the first polls were accurate, and then that wasn't satisfying to the shadow government or the soon-to-be shadow government, the secret power players. They wanted a majority government, and it couldn't be Harper. So they tweaked the polls so that incorrect data could be put into the algorithm to get an improper result. Okay. And I think a lot of people just wanted to get rid of Harper. A lot of people I've talked to in the Liberal and the NDP party said they don't really care about the ethics of anything as long as they got Harper. And, but I do care. I care for a reason. The whole fundamental basis of this country and this nation is built on a free, fair, and upfront vote. If the vote turns out to be manipulated or defrauded, and we can't depend on the vote, well, then we're on a slippery slope to anarchy, where we know the election's over when the tanks stop, like in many other places. I don't ever want to see our country get to a place like that. I want, no, you know, even if we elected the bloc as a majority government, I better learn some words in French. It's a whole lot better than we get to that slippery slope that elections can't be depended on, and we resort to the brute force of arms. So where where are these uh, de defeated candidates that were in ridings where you know word on the street was that they were they were winning, or the the polling clerks were convinced that 
uh, one particular candidate was going to win. Why are they not screaming bloody murder? Why are they not demanding recounts? If this is widespread across the country, uh, you would think that there are other Toronto centers, other Parkdales, other spurned candidates. Uh, why are they not? Where's the hue and the cry? They don't know. They actually, because no one knows they use the algorithm except for a very select people in media and the higher end of the political hierarchy of parties. The average person thinks it's the ballot box and the ballot that decide things. So they're unaware of the fact that there is a problem. It's like, you know, you feel itchy and scratchy, but you've never heard of the disease you have. So you're not going to be the slightest bit concerned until someone tells you there is a disease and those are the symptoms. So with the release of this show, people are going to start to learn this. We may not be able to correct anything from this election, but I think we can be far more educated consumers of media and uh, what we expect from the ballot box in future if we know the tricks and we're not going to be fooled again, I hope. And uh, this is all start as an education process. Some of the uh, political power brokers may have cut a deal to say, okay, we'll cede this to you this time for a promise or something in the future just to get rid of Harper because there's so much of the political agenda that we agree on that uh, it wouldn't be accomplished in a minority government. We'd be in a deadlock no matter who had power and who didn't have power. The only Would, thing we could do is force an election. Wouldn't this... Um, wouldn't this plot unravel if i mean you would require it would it would require the complicity of polling clerks returning officers no, across the country uh, wouldn't it i think they're just in the dark you submit your results and like most people they heard things but they didn't put anything together it's just the good fortune that uh, one of our polling uh, people was a good friend of uh, your uh, colleague in arms nelson thal and his wife wanda and uh, who just happened to meet me uh, a few years back. And uh, so you couldn't find a better person to be uh, <laughs> involved in election counting and, ball and the balloting and uh, collecting information from other people and passing that on to me to say that, uh, hey, this, this was uh, way out of line. And I think if other polling clerks hear this now, they might be inclined to come forward and say, hey, this happened here, this happened there, this happened here, this happened there. But when you don't know there's a fire, you can't pull the alarm. Why bother then with an algorithm? Why not just discount the results and, uh, you know, who's ever at the top of this scheme, just sort of manipulate the numbers after the votes? Uh, it would be like, you know, with the electronic uh, voting machines that, that are being instituted in many in many states now in the United States. They can literally, well, I should say figuratively, unplug those. Uh, electronic voting machines so that, you know, uh, certain districts, the votes don't count if they know that those districts are going to vote heavily Democratic or Republican or whoever's, you know, who's ever uh, uh, trying to fix the game. Uh, why go to all this trouble of creating this algorithm if you're just going to fix the, uh, fix the end result? Well, the beauty of the algorithm is it's the guilty party. And most people can't even begin to understand the complexity of the math. You're going to have to be very good at math to work on the formulas that uh, are just in the Ph.D. thesis that, uh, you know, I've tagged along with this. And uh, so it's just above 98% of the people's heads how they arrived at this conclusion. If we just Mine included. A box. George, I gotta, I gotta, we, we got to go, but uh, quickly, how can we hear Conspiracy Cafe? Well, my website is conspiracy-cafe.com.org, uh, or you just Google my name. I'm all over the Internet. Uh, the, the hits are just growing and growing and growing. We've had a record uh, last couple of weeks 
just out of this world. I haven't seen numbers like that because people are starting to learn there's one way to change all this. You just have to change the channel. All right, George Freund, and that's F-R-E-U-N-D. Thank you, my friend. Stay on top of this. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Rosemary Ellen Guiley and our Paranormal News Roundup when The Conspiracy Show continues. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is a leading expert in the metaphysical and paranormal fields with more than 60 books published on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias and reference works. Her work is translated into 15 languages. Her current work focuses on interdimensional entity contact experiences, problem-haunting, spirit and entity the attachments, the afterlife, the afterlife and spirit communications, psychic skills, dream work for well-being, spiritual growth and development, angels, past and parallel lives, an investigation of unusual paranormal activity. And she joins us uh, every month at this time. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? Richard, I am still recovering from an amazing Halloween in Salem, Massachusetts, which is the mecca of all places to be on Halloween, and this year it was really amazing and very intense. So what did you go out as? Uh, well, I was a high priestess because one of the witches' balls had uh, tarot as the theme uh, for their uh, annual dance, and uh, uh, Joe went as uh, Lovecraft tarot, uh, and uh, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> I, did, I did my Black Mirror Gazing event, uh, which uh, was my fourth one there, sold out again, uh, bigger than ever. The streets were jammed. The restaurants were packed, but we had an amazing time. That is the place to be on Halloween, to be sure. Got to ask you about um, an interesting story about this, I guess a, it's kind of a subculture of real-life vampires, but it, it's actually in the Atlantic, which is a pretty prestigious uh, magazine. And um, it's titled Life Among the Vampires, how the, the real-life people who feed on blood became an organized community with its own rules and traditions. Great story. What, what, what can you tell me uh, about real-life vampires? These are for real. They certainly are, and this culture has been around several decades now. Um, John Browning, who did, is doing the research on that, John Edgar Browning, uh, we know each other, and uh, I've done a little bit of research in this area myself. And this subculture uh, probably has existed for a long time in a very loose, unorganized way because uh, there are blood fetishists, people who like to drink blood, but they've never really particularly called themselves vampires in terms of the popular culture uh, icon you know, that we, we know as a vampire. And uh, the popularity of Anne Rice and uh, role-playing games, uh, especially uh, Vampire Masquerade, um, have contributed to the creation of communities of people who identify themselves as vampires. Many of them are energy vampires, not blood drinkers. Yeah, I know a few um, of those. <laughs> I think we all do. Uh, and in fact, in the vampire community, there have been surveys that uh, indicate most people identify themselves more as energy vampires, but still they consider themselves to be distinctly different from ordinary people. They feel they were born different, with something uh, different in their consciousness and maybe even in their genetics. But the blood drinkers uh, do comprise a, an important part of this community, and they have um, many of them have uh, rituals for this. They have uh, rules that they follow. There are codes of ethics for both the don donor and the drinker. 
Um, and they say that they absolutely need it for their health, that they feel much better. They call themselves sanguinarians. Sanguinarians. And uh, the, the odd thing is that uh, because blood has an emetic property to it, that if you drink too, the average person, if you drink too much blood, you're going to throw up. It's not going to agree with you. So, um, you know, feasting away for uh, a long time on somebody's entire um, quantity of blood, it, it just wouldn't play uh, in uh, normal terms. But uh, the sanguinarians may have just a small amount every now and then, uh, maybe a, a small glassful or a shot glassful or something like that. It's, it's not like the movies. And um, uh, I'm guessing one of the rules would be this, obviously, this has to be all consensual. Uh, yes, according to the ethics, it's consensual. Uh, they get themselves tested to make sure that uh, their blood is clean. And uh, they have uh, even ritual knives that they use, and uh, sometimes, um, you know, it's quite an elaborate ritual. Do they have an aversion to light? Well, some of them do, um, and it's difficult to know whether it's uh, something that's physiological or just kind of a lifestyle choice. I'm wondering, has it, been, has it ever been written up in, the, in one of any of the psychiatric journals as some sort of... Um, psychiatric uh, illness or disorder? Well, there, there haven't been too many formal uh, academic or scientific studies done of this community, and um, John Edgar Browning, who is doing this for his dissertation, has been uh, working down in New Orleans for a couple of years now, uh, interviewing these people and even living among them, and there have been some folklorists who've taken on studies uh, but it's been primarily the vampire community uh, itself that has done its own surveys and studies. The Atlanta Vampire Alliance uh, has been doing this for years, uh, surveying the community and compiling statistics and trying to educate the media. I think they've been dismissed by the academics and the scientists as fringe people who uh, have fantasies that they're playing out. But for people in the community, this, this is a genuine... Uh, way of life, and uh, many of them are very committed to it. Okay, when we come back, uh, we just passed a couple of weeks ago uh, Back to the Future Day, uh, those familiar with the uh, uh, Michael J. Fox vehicle, and uh, now uh, renewed interest in a gentleman by the name of John Titer, uh, who uh, uh, was a self-proclaimed time traveler coming, coming from the year 2036. Uh, we'll discuss... Uh, John Titer. Whatever happened to John Titer? When the Conspiracy Show, along with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, continues. Stay with us. And we are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who joins us once a month at this time, and uh, her, her website is visionaryliving.com. Visionaryliving.com. Uh, Alrighty, uh, Rosemary, a few years ago, well, it's probably been about a decade, we, we began to hear about this uh, self-proclaimed time traveler by the name of John Titer, who was sort of doing the, the rounds on, on various uh, shows and, and said that he came uh, to us, uh, to our time, from the year 2036. So he came to us from the future uh, to warn us of a, a nuclear war. And um, uh, then all of a sudden he sort of just disappeared and we never heard from him again. And of course now again with the... Um, the um, the Back to the Future uh, Day, which happened a few weeks ago, uh, people are talking about John Titer again. What can you tell us about John Titer? It's a very peculiar case, Richard, because uh, uh, there have been 
other puzzling time-traveling cases that just can't be dismissed, and I don't think we can dismiss this one as a guy who pulled a hoax. And it, it happened in 2000. And uh, he said that he, uh, he was part of a military unit, and he was coming back to um, 1975, uh, he was stopping in 2000 along the way, but he'd gone back to 1975 to get an old IBM computer that he said they needed in the future uh, to debug old computers that they were still using uh, because of this nuclear war that they felt would help uh, benefit society. And he said he lived in a small community. Life was very different. There had been a limited nuclear war between America and Russia. And uh, he was quite vocal for some time, and uh, he provided schematics of some of his devices and talked about his time travel device and even offered to take volunteers into the future. And the process was quite elaborate, required traveling in some old Chevy, I think, um, and going to certain places at certain times and that they would work their way back to to the future. I don't think there were any takers on it. But... Uh, he made certain predictions that did not come to pass, that uh, the 2004 Olympics were going to be canceled. Of course, uh, this nuclear war was supposed to take place in 2015, and even though we're not quite done with the year yet, nothing uh, is even um, uh, remotely on the horizon in that regard. And uh, other predictions of his about years that have already passed never came to pass, so uh, skeptics were inclined to dismiss this. But uh, he also pointed out, and this is what people who study time traveling also point out, is that the very act of time traveling alters um, a timeline in reality. Right. And if he was a time traveler and successfully took something back to the future that was going to help the future, you get into these conundrums about how does it change the past. Right, the grandfather paradox. Exactly. And so it's uh, it's it's really a believable story from the standpoint of, of time travel that, and that the things that had happened in his timeline were now changed because he had he and maybe other time travelers had been able uh, to go back and alter things. Seems to me I read recently where something about that computer that he went back to 1975 to fetch to take into the future, um, something like... I don't know, a part of that computer ended up on eBay? Did you read about that? I didn't hear about that, but there was another interesting thing about the computer. It was an IBM 5100. And interestingly, uh, he talked about a feature of that computer that existed, but IBM had never made public. Very interesting. How hmm. would he know about that? Exactly. Wow. All right. And, and he, uh, he hasn't been heard from in quite some time. Uh, no, he just disappeared. Mm, interesting. All right. Uh, got to ask you while time permits. Uh, Loch Ness Monster was PR stunt dreamed up for tourists in a London pub. Now, I know this gets in your craw, Rosemary, because, <laughs> uh, you know, every once in a while, one of these stories comes around. This was a hoax. That was a hoax. Uh, and this is not the first time we've heard that the Loch Ness Monster was a hoax. Uh, but you take umbrage with that. Well, I do, because... Um uh, we we have these people who uh, proclaim that they've done a hoax or they know that something is a hoax, and then that's supposed to dismiss an entire story, an entire account, a witness. Uh, we have this all the time in the UFO community. Uh, and why are we believing these people instead of the eyewitnesses? 
Well, here we have a – this is a science historian <clears throat> who wrote this book in a monstrous commotion, The Mysteries of Loch Ness, Professor Gareth Williams, suggesting the monster was invented, even names the gentleman, by D.G. Garrity, who was recruited by several Scottish hotels to improve the area's tourism following the Great Depression. Now, it's entirely plausible to me that um, he was uh, hired or maybe, um, you know, collaborated with some people to boost interest in the Loch Ness Monster in order to encourage tourism. But sightings of water beasts in that lake and also in the River Ness near the lake uh, go back for centuries. There's one even associated with St. Columba in, uh, I think it was the 6th or 7th century. And uh, there were sightings in the late 19th century as well. Uh, so he's making the argument here that, well, we, nobody really saw this monster prior to uh, the early 1930s, and that's why it was, uh, you know, this explains uh, why it was all a hoax. These um, uh, parties cooked this whole thing up for tourism. To me, this falls in the same category as the Doug and Dave crop circle hoaxers. Exactly. You know, these two guys who came forward and said, we've been making all the crop circles. And so all, you know, all the skeptics say, oh, well, of course, you know, mystery solved, let's all go home. And uh, maybe Doug and Dave actually went out and made a circle or two, but they certainly uh, didn't debunk the whole field. And um, uh, there were also claims that uh, the Amityville Horror uh, case was uh, cooked up over a kitchen table, uh, a few odd incidences were, you know, blown out of proportion into a big demonic case. And um, this seems to be uh, um, uh, a factor in a lot of uh, remarkable uh, cases. There are hoaxes. We have them all the time where individuals, especially in cryptozoology, uh, attempt to pass something off, especially like a Bigfoot carcass. Uh, but uh, I don't think that applies here in the Loch Ness Monster. Water monsters have uh, been reported around the world for centuries. They're, they're part of our folklore and mythology. And um, uh, there's also uh, a comment in this um, uh, skepticism uh, claim that uh, the uh, hoaxers were inspired by what is described as the Canadian fictional lake monster, Ogopogo. Whoever got the idea that Ogopogo was fictional? Oh, exactly. I mean, Here again is another water monster, the sightings of which uh, have um, been around for centuries. Exactly, and not too far from where I'm sitting in, uh, in uh, Lake Erie, there is um, uh, a sea creature or a water creature associated with Lake Erie. I think they call her Bessie. Uh, and also, well, you know, uh, all of these... Uh, glacial lakes in, in northern Ontario, if you, te- if you speak to the locals, uh, you know, just about every lake has a legend associated with it, which I guess uh, leads me to suspect that what we are talking about in many of these instances is, some, is simply some heretofore uncatalogued, undiscovered uh, a creature that could date back um, to, uh, you know, pre-Ice Age times. It's certainly possible. I've always been of the opinion that these um, monsters and cryptids are interdimensional. And one possibility from that perspective is that if there was a sudden eruption of sightings in the 1930s, 
uh, it could have been an interdimensional portal opening like we had with the Mothman wave in 1966-67. And uh, there could be just these periods where these uh, interdimensional boundaries get thin enough for a lot of sightings to occur, and uh, then they get a little thicker and, uh, you know, the sightings dip down. Um, I think we, we have to consider all sorts of possibilities, but um, um, this claim that uh, Loch Ness was a publicity stunt, I don't buy it at all. All right. Rosemary Allen Guiley is with us. Our paranormal investigator joins us once a month on our Paranormal News Roundup and her website again, visionaryliving.com, visionaryliving.com. Uh, we are, uh, I guess, about a month and a bit away from the, um, it'll be the 35th anniversary of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, and this took place um, near the Air Force Base. It was a joint sort of Air Force Base, um, Woodbridge, and um, uh, what was the other one? I'm trying to remember now. Anyway, two two Air Force bases. in Bentwaters. In Bentwaters, thank you. Bentwaters and Woodbridge. One was operated by the RAF and the other by the United States Air Force. And there was this celebrated uh, UFO sighting uh, by uh, military personnel, military police and so forth, uh, on a few days leading up to uh, Christmas. And uh, and now uh, it is reported that people, and I've been to uh, Rendlesham Forest, and, and uh, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful area, uh, vast sort of uh, forest. People walk their dogs there, and now people are reporting that their dogs are, are getting sick. Um, now, is there a connection? That's the question. I mean, 35 years later, you think there's a connection between these dogs getting sick and... Uh, I'm not sure if they were in close proximity to where these UFOs supposedly touched down, but what do you know, Rosemary? Well, it certainly makes a lot of sense, Richard, because uh, there have been other UFO uh, landing sites where vegetation has been killed off for a considerable period of time, where tree growth has been altered, uh, where people and animals have um, been sick. And uh, so 35 years, um, it, it's not out of the question. Uh, so many of these close encounter uh, with craft cases uh, in, involve um, what appears to be a, a lot of radiation problems. And um, if these craft are emitting some sort of high-intensity radiation that would affect um, the health of living things, who knows how long it could last. And uh, so I'm not surprised at all to hear these reports. I have been out to the uh, Rendlesham area myself, and uh, uh, it's an altered landscape uh, 35 years later. It is indeed. Um, I mean, when you walk around, uh, I mean, you're you're a sensitive. Uh, Do you feel anything unusual when you're walking around uh, uh, in that area? Well, the area uh, does have a, a history of hauntings as well, and uh, to me it just feels like um, the, uh, there's something changed about the landscape, and um, we find similar cases where there uh, have been sightings of craft coming down and landing on the ground. Uh, and uh, I think, um, if, if I recall the, uh, 
uh, where Travis Walton had his experience. Oh, Snowflake, uh, Arizona? Yes, there were some uh, permanent alterations to the tree growth there. That, sure. Um, well, I mean, Penniston went on, was, uh, was just, I believe, recently Jim Penniston, and I'm not sure if John Burroughs was also affected, uh, but I believe he was, and, and uh, they were denied... Uh, uh, health benefits from the Veterans Association, but those were, I think they're recently, they recently changed that, or at least they're trying to get those gentlemen uh, some benefits, and they believe that they were, their illnesses were caused by being in the proximity of these, these uh, UFOs. Yes, Burroughs finally did get some money. That's good. Um, And uh, we've had other cases like the Cash Landrum case um, here in America, uh, where people have had uh, cancer after being exposed to uh, close contact with a craft, and uh, radiation burns, and, and there have been cases down in South America huh. like that as well. Well, who knows then? Maybe there is something to this uh, story about these uh, dogs. Uh, Rosemary, sadly, we are out of time. Thank you for joining us as usual. And uh, again, I'll direct people to the website, visionaryliving.com. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Good night. All right, back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's Mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.